0: to kindergarten kiosk the developmentally appropriate podcast hello everyone and welcome to kindergarten kiosk i'm lindsay and and i'm Kathy. kathy and today we have a great interview with kathy glass the author of the fundamentals of redesigning writing units she's going to talk to us about practical strategies and best practices for improving the writing in our students. And she's got some really great suggestions. I think you're gonna like it. All right, that sounds great.
1: Uh, My name's Kathy Glass, Kathy Tuckman Glass. I like using my maiden name. And I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana, but I've been living in the San Francisco Bay Area for probably 25 or so years. And um, I taught school for a long time and then I ended up becoming a consultant and I um, work with schools, uh, kindergarten to 12th grade throughout the country and I've been fortunate enough to write several books. So all different topics on curriculum and instruction, uh, differentiated instruction, um, instructional strategies, backward design, curriculum and lesson design, using the backward design process, um, a lot on literacy, um, let's see, curriculum mapping, all sorts of topics. So.
0: And can you tell us about your latest book and what it's called and where people can find it?
1: Sure. This, the latest book that I have done is actually part of a series. So the first book that's kind of the signature kickoff book is called The Fundamentals of Redesigning Writing Units. And it empowers um, teachers or curriculum designers to actually write, revise, or critique a unit of study focusing on writing in particular. So it's using mm-hmm. that backward design approach and embedded within this book and all the books in the series, each one is focused on a different writing type or genre. There's one on argumentation um, and a bit of, an, of opinion, but mostly argumentation. Then a book um, on narrative writing. Then there'll be a book on informational and then on poetry. So my goal in all of these is for teachers to feel like they can create their own units, or maybe they've been handed a unit to teach writing and they can revise it and really have their own voice in it. So embedded in each of the books are a lot of examples and tools and resources and downloadable material and assessments and rubrics and checklists and everything you need to create a comprehensive units unit um, using that backward design process and also... Um, even gradual release of responsibility and how we create lessons using some kind of a direct instruction model. So that's pretty much what it's all about.
0: (laughs) And I really enjoyed reading your book about redesigning writing units, especially as a kindergarten teacher, because I feel like so many times I'm given a goal for my kindergarten students of where they're supposed to be and 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 it's supposed to model where they're going in the future of their writing and i really liked getting the whole picture of this is what they need to do this is what we're expected to do in writing and it really helped me take it apart to see this is how i get my kid there i feel like i ra- said that in a very rambly way but it was really exciting to me to deconstruct the whole process and then to take that process and see how is this going to work for a kindergartner who this is their first exposure to maybe writing a poem or writing a narrative it was it was exciting and really informative
1: oh good well that was my intent so I'm glad I was successful with you (laughs) and hopefully other readers
0: Um, And you talk about lots of different writing types and genres in the book. So can you talk about some of those types and genres that we should be having our pre-K and K and one and first and second grade students write in? Well, there's, there
1: essentially are these text types, which are Mm -hmm. overarching. So you have narrative and in there you have um, fictional narrative and nonfiction narrative. There's descriptive writing, there's persuasive writing, which is your opinion and your argumentation. There's expository writing. So I would think that for primary grades, when you talk about opinion pieces, you would want kids to write about how what they think is very special or what they think their favorite is. So perhaps you would have them read a, or, or read aloud to them several books by the same author, like David Shannon or Kevin Henkes or um, per- Patricia Polacco. And then, Um, your students can decide what their favorite book is and give reasons why, or maybe it's a book review where it's one book that you've been focusing on and they decide um, to talk about um, of this book, my favorite part of the book was the character, my favorite part was a setting, etc. Or maybe they're doing a unit on farm animals and they choose their favorite farm animals, or why their parent or older sibling or guardian is, is special to them and why. So it could be an opinion piece, or it could be an informational piece, or an explanatory piece. So that could be a how to paper, or it could be um, a direction piece. How do I get from my classroom to, to the office? It could be how do I tie my shoe? How do I make hot chocolate? It could be they're reading um, a book on senses and what sense is most important and talk about that. So it could be an informational piece, it could be um, a list that they make with pictures or drawings and this, you know, depending on the grade and the readiness level of students, it could be a dictation Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. as a writing piece and all different forms of writing. It could be a narrative, you mentioned that earlier, maybe they're retelling a familiar fairy tale or they're retelling a fable Perhaps they're talking about themselves and writing a narrative. Maybe they're doing a character sketch about themselves or another character with pictures and details, words, labels, sentences, paragraphs, etc. Does that
0: help? Yeah, that does. And as you're talking about it, I always feel like in the primary grades, writing is so exciting because it's really where kids find their own voice. And they feel so empowered by I have a voice and I can communicate with people by putting my voice on paper. And as you're talking about all the different ways we can have them write, it just seems like it opens up so many doors to so many different kinds of learners and so many different kinds of expression and that's really exciting.
1: Yeah, it is exciting and it's
0: great on the ground floor
1: that you get them and can teach them the different forms of writing because each one is unique Mm -hmm. in that they have their own structure and and characteristic elements, even within that whole narrative text type, mm-hmm. there's so many different kinds mm-hmm. of narratives. You have fables, you have folk tales, you have animal tales. You know, well, fables falls into that, or um, the trickster tales. It could be a mystery, it could be a science fiction piece, etc. And all of those have their own special elements, even though the structure might be a plot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you talk in the book a lot about the steps in the writing process that we need to teach kids to be successful writers can you talk a little bit about what the stages in the writing process might look like in a primary grade sure
1: Um, well we when we talk about the different stages of the writing process we're talking about pre-writing drafting revising editing publishing and reflecting so when you're talking about primary or really any grade, it's not unique to primary whatsoever, that pre-writing, the student needs to be very clear about his or her task. <clears throat> so teachers need to be very transparent to state what the expectations are from the get-go so kids aren't surprised later on. So the pre-writing stage is that clearness of task. So if they are writing a fable, they need to know what kind of animals they want as characters, what lesson they will teach. So you need to be clear about what that is so it guides their pre-writing and every other stage of the writing process. In pre-writing, they gather any kind of ideas. So maybe you are reading a lot of books to them or they're reading on their own or they're listening to books. Maybe they're interviewing other people. They're listening. Um, they're gathering a lot of ideas and that's part of that pre-writing stage. And then they take those ideas and they list them in a certain way. Maybe it is a list or maybe it's a web that they're doing. Maybe it's um, they're doing a drawing. So they get those ideas down on paper, they can share their ideas with other students, and with you as well as the, you, know, you being the teacher. Um, and then once they have that pre-writing set, they can always go back to pre-writing as they continue through the writing process. There's no magic about it's just pre-writing and you're done, it's behind you and you move forward. They may find they need to do a little more research. So let's say they were writing about their favorite farm animal, and then next they go into their drafting where they put their ideas on paper And when they do that, as I had said before, they need to be really clear about what their task is so they know the structure of the piece and what the elements are supposed to be in that piece. Um, And when they do the drafting, teachers should supply some kind of a checklist so that they're very clear about what it is that's expected of them. When I worked with um, a primary group, I was looking at some of the opinion checklists that people I worked with had had worked on because I collaborate with a lot of teachers on developing units. And the checklist could include even um, a beginning. Like in the beginning, I get my reader's attention. So a checklist is written in first person point of view. Mm -hmm. You can have a lot of icons and pictures Mm -hmm. in there so the young students understand what it's all about. But that checklist is your commitment to teaching, and also guides students as they write, it's not something that they do after the fact. It's while they are writing, they are familiar with what's expected of them. So you could write on a checklist. In the beginning, I get my reader's attention by perhaps questions, and then you could give some suggestions on the checklist. Um, I write my opinion and give a reason for it. Maybe that's a template. I think such and such because blank. And then another reason is, So when you have an opinion checklist, you need to make sure that kids use it as a guide while writing, and you have made sure that you introduce it in a way that they're familiar with it. And also the magic about this checklist, as I mentioned to you before, it's your commitment to teaching, but it's also something that sets a purpose for learning. Mm -hmm. So it's incumbent upon you to teach lessons around items on the checklist so that kids know these skills, they learn these skills, and they incorporate them into the writing. So when you draft, you're using this checklist to guide you, you're putting your ideas down on paper. Or if it's electronically, you put you you use some kind of an electronic device. Then you move into revising. And when you move into revising, kids are making changes to improve their draft. So you might look at what words need to be added. So you might decide that, um, Kids are deficient in that area, and you had a skill where you want them to create words and phrases to make longer sentences, so maybe you read The Napping House and you take a look at all those different phrases in The Napping House, and then you maybe make cards of different phrases um, around the corner in the house, you know, using prepositional phrases. Maybe that's the way that you extend sentences. And then what you could do is have some kind of an assessment where they do that, it's an activity, and then you assess and see how they do with using these cards and maybe um, taking them and incorporating them into their writing so their sentences are longer. Maybe you want them to combine simple sentences and put those together. So there's all different skills involved in writing and that would be the center of your instruction and you want them to incorporate it into their paper. Um, When they're revising, you need to also ask their peers to give them some suggestions, but you need to explicitly teach how students would do that. So if you're asking students to give feedback to other students, they need some guidance on how Mm -hmm. how to do that. And you as the teacher, of course, give suggestions as well that they incorporate. And then when you talk about the editing piece, you're talking more about the mechanics of writing, and you can give them all kinds of editing tools, maybe highlighting tape. Um, teach them how to do proofreading, like the carrots that one uses. When you do the inserting something, maybe they need staplers. Mm -hmm. Maybe they need um, different colored markers. And then you go into publishing, and when they publish their piece, it could be a class book. It could be something for a school newspaper. Mm -hmm. Um, You Mm -hmm. can invite parents in. And then lastly, I always like kids to reflect. What are they most proud of in their writing? What did they feel was a weakness that they want to get better at? Um, What was most difficult? Um, What could they teach others about? So all those steps work in concert, but like I said before, they're iterative, so you can move back and forth. So my suggestion before about the farm animals, they may find during revision that a peer um, had too many questions while they were reading it, or you the Mm -hmm. teacher did. That means they may need to go back and do some more research to incorporate that information into their paper. Mm -hmm.
0: I think one thing I really loved about your book, are you familiar with the author Brandon Sanderson? I'm I, not. He, I've I've listened to him talk about the writing process a little bit, and he has talked about how people will always come up and tell him, you're so talented, you're so talented, you're so gifted and he while he talks about appreciating that he says the writing we think of writing as this gift this talent you were just born writing and he says it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of practice and a lot of understanding the skill of writing and I liked your book because it really laid it out for kids of all the steps we need to do to get there and made it really explicit and just and what a great gift to give your class of this is this is how we write, and this is how we do it, especially the checklists that kids can use while they're writing to ma- make themselves good writers as they're writing. It's no mystery. It's all out there for them. I really enjoyed that. Yes, absolutely.
1: Well, John Hattie talks about that transparency. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the one who's from Australia who's done like 800-plus meta-analyses, and it really is very... I mean, you as an adult, me, anybody, you wanna know what's expected of you before you do anything that you're asked to do. Mm-hmm. In a workplace or you know, a recipe that I'm asked to do. I mean, why is that a secret? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and I know even in my early years of teaching, I didn't know that. I didn't know about backward design. I didn't know about transparency. I didn't know about setting criteria up front, making that criteria clear. You know, what are rubrics, what are checklists? How do we use them as, as instructional tools? Mm-hmm. So. I would wait almost too long to tell kids what was expected of them. But if you tell them from the beginning of your unit of instruction what they're expected to achieve and how you are going to guide them through this process and you are going to assist them to be successful, it almost takes some stress off of it, too, and, it, and there's no mystery.
0: It shouldn't be a mystery, right? Yeah. Well, and, and even for kindergarten, I could see myself telling them this is a how-to s- this is a how-to writing we're going to do right now this is what it looks like when we tell somebody how to do something these are the steps this is what I expect for you and even a simple checklist with smiley faces on it could work for them but how much better prepared will they be when they have to write a how-to essay later on when they know some of the nuts and bolts as far back as kindergarten that would be amazing for them
1: well, it'd be amazing for them and amazing for the teachers where the kids move into. Right? <laughs> they always love that. You know, what What do these kids come to me knowing?
0: Mm-hmm. And if
1: you're really clear about your charge as a teacher and how you meet standards and how you instruct, then it really is helpful for the kids and those who instruct them as they move on because they, your commitment helps them to move in learning progressions.
0: Yeah. You mentioned backwards design earlier. Can you talk a little bit more about what backwards design is and what it looks like?
1: Sure. A lot of people know about um, uh, UBD. uh, Wiggins and McTighe popularized that. So the backward planning, what that entails is you know the end in mind, a bit about what I was talking about before. It's not a mystery. You as the educator know for, for a course of study, for a unit, for a lesson, where all your kids are headed. Mm-hmm. What are they all expected to you know, know and do and achieve? And then what are the uh, particular steps I need to get there? So it's standards-based because you begin the first step really is looking at your standards. And we're talking about writing, so you think English language arts standards, but I would say to you that if kids are writing about a science topic or a social studies topic, you would want to pull in those content area standards as well. So you group your standards together, identify what's important in literacy and in content area if need be, um, and then you identify what your learning outcomes are. Mm-hmm. And learning outcomes are, people talk about KUDs, and that means what do I want students to know, which is your K, what do I want them to understand is your U, and what do I want them to do, which are really your skills. So if um, you were talking about, let's say, um, simile, I'm going to keep it small, just a, um, one particular topic of many standards, so if you were gonna do um, a simile, you would want kids to know the definition of a simile, you'd want them to know examples of similes, you'd also want them to know the purpose of a simile. Mm-hmm. So that would be your K part, what I want students to know. And then your understandings are, are kind of lofty, it's written in teacher language, it doesn't have to be dumbed down for students and make it you know, in kindergarten language. It's you as the professional to say, what do I really want my kids to understand? What's the essence of this particular piece of learning that I want them to understand um, really critically and, and holistically? So an understanding for similes, you would use standards to create it, but you could say something like, um, writers invent similes to convey fresh insights that readers interpret to deepen and extend meaning. So what I, I love about those essential understandings is it does take me a long time to write them and I write them all the time, so I don't <laughs> expect to off the cuff, like you know, uh-huh. off the top of their head. You have to really think deeply and answer the question why, because so often don't kids come to you and say, well, why do I need to learn this? Mm-hmm. And then you just said you came mm-hmm. from parent conferences. I mean, how often do parents say, now, You know, I'm going to ask you nicely, but why do the kids need to learn this? (laughs) So sometimes we get that question from adults as well. So developing essential understandings really helps you to articulate why you're teaching what you're teaching. So I think those understandings are, are very important. It's an intellectual exercise. It takes the standard and has you... You know, probe to say why, and you can mm-hmm. use resources to help you identify what that is. And then your skills all begin with a verb. It's what you want students to do. Their cognitive processes. So, it's it's specific to a grade or a, a, a readiness level of students. But it would be in kindergarten. It's define simile, pretty mm-hmm. pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Write about a character using similes. It's what you want them to actually do. Um, and then we take those learning outcomes, and oftentimes we have guiding questions. So you could have um, overarching unit guiding questions. I divide those as your higher order questions, and then there's some drill down specific lesson questions. And your guiding questions frame your lesson. I mentioned to you before about your commitment to learning. So your unit guiding question would be how do similes enhance a piece of work? Um, and it is in kid friendly language, so if kids in kindergarten don't know it enhanced, then you wouldn't want to use that. But your lesson, it would frame a lesson. So it could be what is a simile, um, and then it could be specific to what similes does a particular author use. Um, other questions it frames instruction it could be how do I create longer sentences or how do I combine sentences or what are the elements of a fable what is a moral so mm-hmm. your um, learning outcomes help guide you to those guide uh, to the guiding questions and then you look at what is your evidence for learning so what proof do you have as a teacher that students are going to master, whatever your skill is that you're teaching. So Mm -hmm. are you going to observe something? Are you going to um, um, look at something tangible? What are they gonna turn in? And of course you have formative assessments as evidence. You also have summative assessments. So what is that? And then the last step of the backward design model is once I've looked at my standards and grouped them, I've identified my learning outcomes and developed guiding questions, I know what evidence of learning I'm going to pinpoint now I develop lessons, because now I have a guiding light.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, and I can't tell you how many times when I first started teaching, I was a lesson magnet. You know, <laughs> give me a lesson, and people would send me lessons, all these lessons are great, and they, yeah, a lot of them were really strong, but unless you know where that lesson fits into a greater unit and what purpose it serves for teaching, um, it's it's just a hard place to start, but when you yeah. start, with that vision of where you want students to be, what do you want them to know, understand, and do, then you can conscientiously, intentionally choose the right lesson, incorporate the right strategies to get to where you're going, yeah.
0: to get students
1: to progress in their learning and achieve.
0: Yeah, I, I keep thinking, because I'm doing half-day kindergarten, which is hard, and the idea of backwards design would is so helpful, because as you're speaking, I'm thinking I could take five standards and figure out a way to put them all together. And then that would make it so much easier for me to compress the content I have to do in a half-day kindergarten session because I've taken all these things that fit together and was really focused in my planning. That's such a a key point
1: because I think sometimes people think, oh, I need an essential understanding for each and every standard. Mm -hmm. Well, when you look Mm -hmm. at your narrative standards, I mean, the five narrative elements, you know, elements of literature, are setting, character, point of view, theme, and plot. So they work in concert with Mm -hmm. one another. So it makes perfect sense what you said because you would combine them. I mean, you could have a guiding question that says, um, how do characters' actions drive the plot? Mm -hmm. So then, Mm -hmm. you know, you've combined those two. Or how do characters' actions, a particular setting, give evidence for a theme? Mm So, really, doing them in isolation doesn't really authentically service what it is that you need to teach anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to chunk it out, of course, and teach what is a theme, Mm -hmm. how do I identify a theme, but ultimately they do work together.
0: Right. Well, and it seems to fit with the idea of depth instead of breadth. You know, we don't have to have all these little tiny disjointed writing sessions if we can have one good solid writing unit that's been planned in a thoughtful way that's exactly true yeah um, can you talk a little bit about the different kinds of assessments that we could use in primary grades to try to judge how our kids are doing as far as our writing units are concerned oh sure um, there are many choices um,
1: I would say that um, for pre-assessment, a lot of people use KWL, what do I mm-hmm. want students, you know, what do I know, what do I want to know, what have, what have I learned, what you do later on, that's a popular one. Um, there, many of them are very specific to a unit, you could create those. For instance, if I'm doing a unit on fairy tales, I might have kids identify. I want to know what fairy tales do they know. I mean, sometimes kids come in not knowing fairy tales, as you probably well know, right? Um, so maybe you want them to name a character in the fairy tales and give them some um, phrases, such as um, "Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all." You know, can they name the character? Can they name the fairy tale? What is it? Do you know?
0: Snow White. Yeah. <laughs>
1: How about the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Oh, that's
0: Chicken Little. Isn't it sad when they don't know? (laughs) It's so sad. Well, some come, right, from a a different
1: environment, a different culture, and, and maybe they don't know it in those terms. Maybe they know it in a different term. But even word work. I mean, you could even ask them for definitions of words or draw a picture about something, or if you're telling a story, if they could name the different elements of the story. You're really just probing for some background knowledge. Mm And that that really helps them. Um, if you're talking about formative assessments, um, going back to the fairy tale example, fairy tales, as you know, have unvarying elements. Mm-hmm. There's um, good overcomes evil. Um, it usually begins with something like once upon a time and ends with happily ever after. There's odd numbers. There's like three, five, and seven, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, By the hair of my chinny chin chin, or the three little pigs, or I'm going to huff and I'm going to puff, right? Mm-hmm. There's that repetitive um, odd numbers. There's um, uh, characters that are unreal. They're magical characters. So those are, they're unvarying elements of fairy tales. So what you could do is you can make popsicle sticks or bookmarks of these unvarying elements. Like one popsicle stick could be a picture of an unreal character. Another popsicle stick could be... Um, we are talking about like, more like a sign on a popsicle stick so that you can see it. You know, it's, uh-huh. it's bigger than a popsicle stick. Um, it, and one could be, um, you know, just once upon a time, the beginning of a story. So as you're reading, you give kids or pairs of kids that little sign on a popsicle stick and as you're reading, they hold it up. So when you're reading and there's an unreal event that happens, you know, when the, when the uh, pumpkin turns into a carriage You know, they would hold up that sign. Mm -hmm. So that might be a formative assessment. And then you observe how kids are doing. Um, You could have them um, use a bookmark. I mean, if they're readers, maybe Mm -hmm. in second Mm -hmm. grade or third grade, maybe those, instead of a sign, you've made them into bookmarks. Um, And I could send you some of those bookmarks if you wanted to use them in your classroom or share them with your readership or listenership, but you could do those bookmarks. And so a formative assessment could be as kids are reading or maybe they're buddy reading, they stick that bookmark, each individual bookmark would be one of those elements, Mm -hmm. into the story that they're reading. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not fairy tales. maybe it's a regular realistic fiction piece that they're reading and you have one that says character, main character, or protagonist, if you want to teach them a big word, or antagonist. And they stick that bookmark in there, and then you walk around the room, and you say, show me where you put your bookmark, put your finger on the part of the book that shows, or maybe there's a picture that shows a picture of the antagonist or protagonist, and then they can show you evidence of where that is. So that's a formative assessment. Um, Another thing you could do is the whole notion of what's believable and unbelievable, Mm -hmm. and kids Mm -hmm. could... Maybe stand up when a statement is believable or put a thumbs up when it's believable or sit down when it's not. Um, If they're not sure, they can give you a fist, perhaps. So then you could create different sentences. So like for a fairy tale unit, it could be um, a princess bites into an apple and falls into a deep sleep. Right. For years Uh and years and years, not just a nighttime. Right. Uh Um, Or a prince invites people to come to the castle for a party. Well, that's believable. They have parties all the time at Buckingham Palace that we're not <laughs> invited to. <laughs> or a hen bakes a cake. So you could get a sense of, do they know the difference between believability and, and, and not? Um, and perhaps maybe there's oral story, storytelling. Mm-hmm. So you could make picture cards. I know that they're out there that you could you could certainly buy, but you could also make your, you make your own cards and clip art. And you could have... Um, a stack of setting cards, and you could have a stack of character cards and a stack of events. And then kids, you know, each kid and sit in a big circle, Mm -hmm. and um, one person starts with a typical beginning, and then kids go around the circle and each contribute a piece to it. So there's so many different kinds of formative assessments. And then, of course, a culmination would be that finished piece that that you're working toward during the whole unit, that opinion piece or, the personal narrative or whatever that is. Mm -hmm.
0: I love those. I am full of so many ideas right now. (laughs) I just want to go and start planning a unit, really. (laughs) Well, good. That's my intent, to spark an interest, right? Yeah, well, you've lit a fire under me now. (laughs) I'm so
1: glad. That's like the best compliment you could give me, right? (laughs) It's true. You know, as
0: a teacher to say, wow,
1: this lesson, this idea – spark me into a, a another direction or expand it on what I already know because I do value so much any reader who comes to this book already has a great inventory of expertise so I'm just really hoping to expand it and capitalize on it and make them be the best
0: best they can be right yeah well and we all want to teach we always all want to make our teaching as effective as we can so it's really nice to have the tools to do mm-hmm. that so yeah that's what I hope to do Yeah, and I think you even have a discount for anybody listening to the podcast, too, if they want to go get your book. It looks like it's kiosk, promo code kiosk at checkout, right? Well, that's
1: original. (laughs) (laughs) It's your kindergarten kiosk. We're kindergarten kiosk.
0: So if anyone goes to solutiontree.com slash fundamentals and enters promo code kiosk, that's 20% off. Terrific. Well, thank you very much. We'll link to that in the notes. And maybe if you can get those bookmarks to me, I'll link to those too. That would be fun. And actually, I'll I'll send a couple things, like that fairy tale I was talking about. That
1: was a nice pre-assessment that people seem to like. I'll send you a few things you can share.
0: Okay, we'll share them. Thank you so much for visiting with me tonight. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And I really did enjoy your book, and thank you for what you've done to light the fire under me. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Kathy. We sure appreciate listening to you. And remember, if you want to get 20% off her book, just go to the Solution Tree website and enter the code Kiosk for 20% off, and we'll put a link to that in the podcast so you can find it. And if it's Solution Tree, it's got to be great because they publish the best books. Yes, Solution Tree is wonderful. There's great resources there. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at kindergartenkiosk.com. If you'd like to write to us and give us an idea for a podcast or tell us someone you'd like to hear from, you can write to us at kindergartenkiosk at gmail.com. We sure appreciate those of you who are listening, and we sure hope that we are helped you and give you some excitement and encouragement in your teaching. So let's give one of our writing products away. All right, which one should we give away? How about the Christmas Writing Center? Oh, I like that one. That will give people time to download it and get it prepped for Christmas. Get it time to get it ready. So what should our code be? Let's have the code be Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so if you get the Christmas Writing Center and enter the code Christmas, you will get it for zero dollars. Yeah. And Lindsay will put the link on under the podcast. I will try my best. So you can go there. (laughs) She will try her best. I will try try my best. To put the link there. (laughs) So I feel like saying Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas, everyone. Although it's It's not not. Christmas.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I would have every day be Christmas. But when you're a teacher,
0: you're always like four weeks ahead, aren't you? Well, it's nice to be where you tried to be, or you're three (laughs) days behind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, goodbye, everyone. Everyone. Kindergarten Kiosk is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators. By educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's e d u podcastnetwork.com.
1: Now, can I listen to it?